Welcome, Travelers Blueprint community. I'm Elliot Shibley, and here with me, as always, is the avid Robert Domena. Thank you, avid. I like it. I appreciate it. I think we might have used it before, but we'll have, we'll to, have double to double check. check. Yeah, yeah, we will. So today's podcast is was with a really cool guy, Chapin. He is the host of Misfits and Rejects podcast. His podcast revolves around lifestyle design of expatriates, travelers, entrepreneurs, and adventurers. And so today's conversation really revolved around the lifestyle choices and, and traits of people who essentially travel long term, maybe are more digital nomad oriented or travel content creating oriented. So maybe through podcasting and things like that, how they can monetize travel content. It was a very interesting conversation. He was, he's a very informed individual and we really enjoyed having him on the podcast today. So, uh, enjoy, enjoy the, enjoy the episode. Yeah, and before we get into the episode, I do want to run through some of the stuff we have going on behind the scenes. As always, please follow us on our Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and then we have a private Traveler's Blueprint community group where you can talk to us, where you can talk to our past guests and current guests and maybe even future guests. Uh, we post pictures provided by our guests to coincide with the context or the content of the episode to give it more context. And you can ask us questions about the episode directly. And... If you haven't subscribed to the podcast on any podcasting platform or on YouTube, please do so. That way you can stay up to date on all of our newest episodes, and you can also let us know what you think by leaving us a rating. And we post a new podcast every Monday called the Travel Bites episodes. We also have a new series called the Travel Around Table series, which is released every Friday, the last Friday of every month. For our website... We have a newsletter, and if you subscribe to the newsletter, you get a free travel cheat sheet, which kind of discusses everything you need to know, a quick overview before you even start traveling. Uh, we also have consulting services where we will be providing, where Bob will sit down with you and discuss your trip in its entirety, and we'll provide an example itinerary to see what that will look like. You're right over there. Yeah, I'm doing an eyebrow thing. Go ahead. Okay. And we have a product, a travel blueprint video tutorial production, which will basically teach you how to become your own travel agent. It's been really fun to work on. We've kind of cartoonized Bob and myself, and we've got some screen sharing options to help you run through everything. And you can follow along with us on those, and those will be released shortly. And coming currently, we have tours available with Keshler Tybert who is a Philly native, and you? there are two tours available exclusively through the Traveler's Blueprint. And you can see those on our website. So without further introduction and without further ado, please welcome Chapin. Welcome to the Traveler's Blueprint. Start designing your next adventure. Chapin, welcome to the Traveler's Blueprint Podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. So Bob and I just had the pleasure of being on your show, and you are the host and creator for the last four and a half years of Misfits and Rejects, which is all about expatriates and travelers abroad and how they do their life. And That's correct. We would love to talk to you about your travels and a little bit about your podcast. So first... Let's focus on your travels and what led you to creating the Misfits and Rejects podcast. How did you start? Traveling. Traveling, yeah. Traveling started for me, I guess, um, 
my dad took me to Europe, I think when I was like 12, um, my parents had just divorced and there's like this super cheap, all inclusive, like 600 bucks round trip to Austria. So he took me on a ski, ski trip there. Um, that got my palate wet. And then I went back to Europe with my dad when I was 18, took me and my sister on a three week trip. Again, that was actually, that was actually a very significant turning point in my life because I grew up here in Newport beach, California, surfing, partying, and being 17 years old and getting removed from that for three weeks kind of took me out of the party scene for enough time that when I came back, I was super focused. I just came back really hungry and ready to start a new life, a new chapter. And I just threw everything I had into soccer. And I started with the goal of trying to be a professional soccer player. And that led me through university um, with a, one big or two big trips in between the finishing of university, which was my friend had moved to Costa Rica and I flew down for three weeks and stayed with him in Puerto Viejo, Costa Rica for three weeks when I was 18. And that opened my eyes up to the like, Oh my God, this is the life I want to live forever. Like a small little village on the Caribbean coast surfing every day. And then we also drove um, a year later down from LA back to Costa Rica to pick his girlfriend up. And I jumped on that trip for a month before I had to go back to UCLA for soccer. And um, that again was just like adventure, adventure, adventure. Like this is, this is what I want. Like after I complete my goal of being a professional athlete, like I'm going to like bail and live on the road or like in a place like Costa Rica for the rest of my life. So that was kind of the inspiration to continue on as a traveler. I think that would make anyone want to be a perpetual traveler. Those are some incredible places to go to. It's yeah. definitely yeah, beautiful. Yeah, it's amazing that you realized it too. Like you knew it, it, it impacted you enough to say, "I need, I, I want to change, and I want to do this, and this is what I want to pursue." Elliot, you had a similar story that kind of stuck with me about the, you. You told me this uh, when you were younger. You went to like Yellowstone or Yosemite or something, and you and like, you know that that was the moment that you wanted to learn more about the environment and traveling and understanding it. And <clears throat> it's funny because I don't have a story like that. And so I really enjoy hearing other people knowing the exact moment that it changed for them and that they knew that, that, that they were going to make a transition or make a change in their lives. And so that's, that's pretty cool, man. Yeah. The, uh, just to elaborate a little bit more on that moment, like it was so profound. Like I was standing in the Louvre in Paris with my dad at 17 years old and this most incredible wave of just peaceful energy came over me as I was staring at this. I don't even remember the painting, but it's just by being surrounded by so much art and beauty. Like I was so overwhelmed. And my dad actually saw that change in me in that moment. My sister was like 13 at the time. I was so bored. And so he sent her back to the hotel by herself. He like, he's like, can you make it back by yourself? Cause I need to like nurture this in my son for the next, as many hours as it takes. And we, him and I just rolled around the loop for like five more hours together. And he was just tripping on, on me, my <laughs> attitude, my personality had just like, he, it shifted in that moment. And that was really cool. And then the second one was laying in a ha hammock after me, a friend and I had driven down from LA to Costa Rica. We were sitting in Pavonis. It's kind of the end of the trip. And I was laying in a hammock and it was the first time in my life that I wasn't, um, I didn't have that mental, that men monkey monkey brain you know that like racing like yeah, I the had hamster spinning I had, in the wheel yeah i just didn't have it anymore and i was like wait a second like 
I'm not anxious. I don't feel like I have to be achieving anything right now. Like I could probably do this the rest of my life and be happy just laying right here. And that was, that was the moment that I was like, okay, the third world for me, like I'm going to move back to the third world and like be a part of it forever. Wow. Yeah. That, that's incredible, man. I, my, my experience is just so different. I, I, I fell into mine. Like I didn't, I, I had this, this subconscious passion for travel and, and culture and the environment and, and wildlife just based on uh, like, you know, discovery channel and history channel and things like that. And I also had like a very party type lifestyle in my twenties, in my early twenties, it was a lot of partying and a lot of Atlantic city trips. I live in New Jersey. So a lot of Atlantic city and Philadelphia. And I've been to that. You were like a Jersey Guido. I wasn't that bad. And uh, (laughs) I wasn't that bad. I didn't own any Ed Hardy or anything. I, I, for the record, on the podcast, I've never owned an Ed Hardy shirt or an Affliction shirt. Okay, I just. But do you have a shirt you. before the shirt? Yeah, well, yeah, because you don't want to get your shirt dirty before you go out. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, well, so so I sort of was wrapped up in that life, right? I was partying with a lot of friends, who that's all we wanted to do. And then I met my wife, and my wife, I think, has really changed it because once I found her, and and formed that relationship with her through dating. I was then able to move away from partying and really explore my interests. And that's sort of where I became like this I, nerd in a way. I mean, no offense, Elliot, because you were already a nerd, but like now. <laughs> None taken, Bob. <laughs> so now. Welcome to, welcome this, to the dark side. Because I, I, I didn't have to put any energy into meeting, uh, meeting a potential girlfriend or going out and just drinking and then being a waste of life the next day. I was able to have my wife, you know, sit with me and talk with me and, and I got to learn through her and explore this new avenue. And, and that's how it happened for me, which, it, you know, which is cool, but I love I love hearing these stories about the traveling and it just hitting you like a ton of bricks. Like, wow, this is amazing. This is what I want to do. And this is what I have to pursue. Absolutely. Yeah. So shortly after your Costa Rica trip, you did some interesting things. One of them was hitchhiking around the world for a year. Correct. Yeah. And I should note that was on that was in 2003 to 2004, and you only had $3,500. And that got you around the world in a year. Can yeah. You, yeah. Talk was, about that. Absolutely. It was, um, I'd gone to Europe, to Belgium, to try to fulfill my dream of being a professional soccer player. And had two trials with two teams, one of the first division, which they was, I was completely outclassed for, was I had no business being there, even at the tryout. <laughs> um, the second division team I, I could have made, like I just was an idiot and didn't listen to what the coach was asking of me and wanted to really show him I could play. And so after the, the game I played with them, he's like, no, thanks, dude. Thanks for coming out. And it was just so hard being your own, you know, I was call, cold calling teams, I was living at a friend's apartment and I was like my own agent, like doing everything, trying to make it. And after that second, like failed attempt, I was like, I don't want to do this anymore. I'd seen how professional athletes kind of were behind the scenes and like, they're not that happy. It's all about, I'm not getting paid enough. Like this guy shouldn't be playing over me. And it's like, I get, I realized like, I love the camaraderie of it. So hung up my boots, but I didn't want to go home. I'd been in Europe three months and I landed with, um, yeah, so I landed with like 3500 bucks roughly. And I spent in three months like half of that. And so I was like, well, I want to be on the road for another year. 
Europe's really expensive and I can't really afford this anymore. So I called my buddy who I'd done all the trips prior with to Costa Rica. I was like, how much money do you have? He's like 2,500 bucks. I was like, okay, cool. Meet me in Copenhagen and let's start hitchhiking. Or I said, let's just start traveling. Let's just start going east. He's like, great, I'll be there in two weeks. He just quit his job. He flew over and he landed at the Copenhagen airport. And he's more of like the hitchhiking guy. Like, I don't like hitchhiking at all, actually. It's just very uncomfortable for me staying there, putting myself out there, like trying to get people's attention, like by dancing around and like trying to act happy and like, and so he, he kind of led the way on the hitchhiking thing. So we walked out of the airport. He had like all these little like bottles of booze he stole and we just got buzzed right there at the airport. And then we walked out to the street and just started hitching and we hitched over to Sweden. First ride, my first time ever really hitchhiking that way. And uh, we kept going from there. And I mean, to be honest, like, people were so kind and took us home most nights. So the nights we couldn't get someone to take us home, like we just slept on the streets and that was interesting. And like, you start to realize like how much food is wasted in this world. Like we were eating very well, just sitting by like in a park, it was summertime. So people were out in the parks. We just sit by the trash and people would come over and like go to dump their food. And we just be like, can we have it? <laughs> you know? <laughs> no shame. So, yeah. And so, we just made our way around the world like that. And then when we got to like places like India where, you know, a, a bus ticket was like, you know, a buck or two, then, then we'd start, we'd start paying for more transportation and stuff like that. And then obviously like getting from Sweden to Finland, we had to, we had to take a, a boat because we were going into Russia and Russia wouldn't let us in unless we had like our full itinerary for the two week visa that they were going to give us. So that's what we did pay for transportation on the Trans-Siberian to get to like Mongolia. Mm. So it wasn't full hitchhiking for the whole year. Like there was definitely some public transportation involved in um, a few hotel rooms in India, you know, but. Right. And, and so, okay. So you start in Copenhagen and you go up into Sweden, you go across into Finland and then you make your way down into Russia over across Russia to Mongolia, down into China and India. Correct. Yep. And then did you do like a loop? Did you go back? And then we went, so from China, we went over to Tibet and then we went through the Himalayas down to Nepal. Wow. And then we went through Nepal into India, all the way down to the South of India and then across to the Andaman Islands via boat. We spent a month out in the Andaman Islands and took another boat back to Calcutta where we spent Christmas. And we were like running out of time with our visas in India and we had to get out. And so we, we took a flight to Bangkok, Thailand. And then we hitched our way down to um, Malaysia, took another boat out to Indonesia to the super remote island where we got stuck for a month. It was miserable. That was my breaking point. Like I'd lost 30 pounds and I was just like at my wits end with like kind of how we were doing it. Like it's just because we we're just living so cheap and every single like decision that we made was based on money, like how we were spending our money. And it's like mm. I was kind of I was so burnt out. And so that's what, and, and the island situation was just not fun at all that the island we found ourselves on just had just this creepy culture that I was not feeling at all. What island was this? Nias. It's, yeah, a, look this up. it's Northern Sumatra. Yeah. And, and I don't, I don't want to talk badly about Sumatran people or the people on this island. Unfortunately, like it does have a reputation if you're within the surf community of having a really um, unfortunate sort of like culture of like people 
robbing you. And I mean, you're obviously always going to be a dollar sign to most cultures in the world when you come from America, but this specific Island, like it's just so rampant in the way they do it. It's just like constantly just being ripped off or constantly people breaking into your rooms and trying to take your stuff. It just, just wears on you, you know? Wow. And why did you go here? Did you go here because of the the surfing? Okay. I hadn't surfed in almost a year. And I'm a surfer, so I was just like desperate to get some waves. And Indonesia is like Mecca for all surfers. So just trying to get to waves in the che- like the fastest, cheapest way possible. And so wow. that's how we just stumbled into, onto this island basically and then got stuck because the ferry stopped running. And it was just like a, a month-long nightmare. And were you robbed? Um, no, we actually weren't, luckily. But just a lot of people around us. There's six of us that kind of got stuck on the island. And in the end, we were all kind of huddled together at this one little like spot because just so many unfortunate circumstances were occurring to everyone else. You know, like we had our, we had our issues with the locals, but like some people had some really bad incidences that everyone just kind of started gravitating towards us and um, took sanctuary amongst me and my uh, buddy and his girlfriend. And we all just Mm -hmm. kind of like plotted a a way to get off the island. (laughs) How did you get off? Uh, The ferry started running again. And, um, one morning we just like snuck it. We didn't sneak out. Obviously we paid our bills, but like we didn't tell anybody we were leaving and we just like made our way to the ferry and we jumped on board and like split. And where'd you go from there? And so I told my friend and his girlfriend, I'm like, I'm done. I'm going, I'm going home. And I was like three weeks away from making it a full year. And I was so committed to that, uh, that timeline. So I hitched back to Thailand. Didn't really know where to go. Cause Thailand was expensive for me at that point. Cause I was living on like a buck a day it was kind of like my budget and maybe two bucks at that time in Thailand. And so I made my way to this uh, peninsula called uh, Krabi, like Krabi Peninsula area. Been and, there. Yeah. And like Tonsai beach where all the rock climbing is. I just found myself laying on the beach all day. Um, had some really nice Canadian kids kind of take me in and help me out. There's like, they were buying me like buffet salad bars. <laughs> Uh, but I was, I was broken. I was a broken human being. I was so excited to get home to my family and just have a bed to sleep in and a refrigerator and you know, not being concerned about being robbed anymore. It's just... So it sounds like it, this trip took an incredible toll on you. What, did you come through it though with, and, and you know, after you had time to process it with anything positive? Oh, hundred percent. I mean, I'm still processing it to this day. Um, and there's so many significant things that come up that I'm still realizing, like even through this podcast, like the way I speak and enunciate my words, it's all through because my travels having to really try to communicate slowly to people and have them understand what I'm trying to say. And that's all through travel. So yeah, the the whole trip was positive. When I talk about vacations versus adventures, you know, like vacations are when everything's planned, everything's going to go right. It's easy. You have to think adventures are when things go wrong. It's not planned. And it's like most adventures aren't fun. Like it's only fun afterwards when you get to talk about it because you're just subjecting yourself. If you're on an adventure, like to the elements of nature, to the elements and people of a culture you're not familiar with. And for a lot of people, including myself, it's overwhelming and you don't find peace of mind a lot until afterwards where you're like, wow, that was a gnarly adventure. And then it's fun to talk about, (laughs) you know? Yeah. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's true vagabonding. Yeah, it is. Yeah. And that's actually, we had Rolf Potts on. Are you familiar with him? No, I'll look him up. Who is he? 
He <laughs> is the author of Vagabonding, which came out in, I think, 2003. Somewhere right? around there. Somewhere. Yeah, somewhere yeah, around early there. Early 2000s. And, <clears throat> I mean, he didn't come up with the term for Vagabonding, but he definitely made it popular. And 100%, that's what you were doing. And Vagabonding is truly just living a cheap lifestyle and traveling slowly. Right. And for I mean, the sole purpose to experience without yep. knowing what you're going to experience mm -hmm. just chasing a experience and whatever it is that you experience is what you were there to do yes <laughs> it's, a, it's really it's a really cool yeah. way to travel fail safe life mm -hmm. became really simple guys like it was interesting in <clears throat> russia actually um we passed out in a park and like we had been drinking with some locals on the streets and like we got wasted dude and we wake up and our bags are gone, dude. Like we were passed down face down in this like park and we're like, Oh my God, where are bags? And in that split second, like, I was like, I don't have to worry about my stuff getting stolen anymore. Dude. Like, it's <laughs> going to be so easy now, you know, cause I had my passport on me, had, I had my credit cards, my money. So I wasn't, I knew I could get places, but I'm like, wow, this is going to be so easy now that I don't have anything to like worry about. Um, but my friend was more ambitious about trying to find it. So we jumped up and he ran around the bushes in which we had passed out behind him. This like gnarly Russian homeless people down the way, like had like a big, like 50 gallon drum, like burning, you know, like they're sitting around <laughs> oh, yeah. trying to keep warm and like our bags are like stashed next to them. We can kind of see them in the distance and we're like, Oh dude, here we go. And so we ran down there and we got our bags back without any violence. And they were like trying to get us to drink with them and hang out. They're like, Oh, it's not a big deal. Like we just stole your stuff, but sit down and join us. Like, like F you we're out of here. You guys suck. <laughs> but so yeah, it was simple. Like I knew every day, all I had to do worry about was like how to eat, um, stay warm. Obviously I would, we would scout when we were sleeping outside in the city, for example, we would scout out what we kind of perceived as a safe place to sleep. So most days we're like walking around trying to find food and then, kind of sessing out the city vibes and trying to find the safest place to like crash and sleep. And that was it. And, and like, and that was our life. Like, and it, it felt, it was really fulfilling actually. Like it was hard, but I was like, my mind is so focused on these few things. That's all I think about. And it just, life became really simple. That's something that I've, I've heard over and over again now with people who have gone on these types of adventures or, uh, just like to go into the wilderness and there's just something about removing yourself from the modern american you know to-do lists scheduling looking at times whatever it is and and taking a step back and and putting throwing yourself into an environment or a situation that's more primitive sort of what we physically kind of evolved to do mm -hmm. and to be around and it seems to be very fulfilling and it's just eliminate that from your brain i don't know i, I i've never done it. I, it but from what i hear it, i think i guess i, I think i should you Something guys ever done vipassana you know what vipassana is i do not it's silent retreats it's pretty big it's like mm -hmm. in asia and, and certain communities of travelers are really into it yeah you go for like 12 days silence and oh, man. <laughs> they, feed you, they feed you minimally you're usually like in a monastery like a monk monastery and um you like eat maybe twice a day very simply you sleep on a very hard like piece of wood or something like that like it's super uncomfortable but and you're silent and you don't make eye contact but everyone who comes out of that just has this incredible sort of sense of peace and oh this is how i should be living yeah. i've never done it 
but it sounds relatable to the yeah, dispensary on the wilderness as well. Didn't right. Bob, you, you've talked about Sam Harris before, and I think he did one of those retreats. Uh, I don't know if Sam Harris did. I've actually, yeah, I'm a big fan of Sam Harris. I was listening to his podcast earlier today, but someone that I, I'm also a big fan of who did something similar was Jesse Itzler. I don't know if either of you so Jesse Itzler yeah. is a billionaire guy now. He created coconut water and sold it to Pepsi. He's like a serial entrepreneur. And he's married to Sarah Blakely, who owned and started uh, Spanx. So they're doing, they're doing well. And he wanted to take a break and go on some sort of retreat, similar to what you just described. And so he found these uh, uh, monks. They were Russian Orthodox monks who live in upstate New York. And he wanted to stay with them for two weeks. I think it was like 15 days was the goal. And so he went there and he stayed with them. And again, it was like, they, they, he describes it as, you know, they took out every, every uh, decision he had to make was gone. They told him when he had to eat, when he went to bed, when he showered, when he prayed, and that was it. And so he, he found it to be very, very freeing. And what he did when he came out of that 15 day experience, he had this new appreciation for time and time management and what it means to, to use your time wisely and make sure you're spending the time as you see fit and not waste it. And so in, in the book, he describes this thing, this, this whole process. And he'll say, you know, being present is the most, being present with your time is the most important thing you can do. And so when you're spending time with your family, spend time with your family. And when you're working on the podcast, work on the podcast and, and make sure you understand to just be present with, with everything that you do when you're dedicating time for, to your family. Don't think about the podcast because this is family time. Um, and uh, yeah, it's like it, mindfulness. It is. It is mindfulness. And he came out of it and, you know, he met back up with his wife and they have very busy lives. They run billion dollar organizations. And so he comes home and he's talking to his wife and she's like, okay, you know, I got to run out. I'll be right back. Should I take the blue part, blue car, or the green car? And he's like, ah, you know, take whatever take the green car. She comes back in. She's like, oh yeah, but you know, I have the car seat in the blue car. The, gr the green car is the, whatever it was. And he's like, listen, you're, you're spending way too much time on this. Just take it easy and, and just take whatever car it is. And I don't know, I think we get wrapped up in that. And so to be able to decompress and go on these trips where it makes you reevaluate your time and your, your situation can be incredibly beneficial. 100%. To expand on this general topic, not necessarily related to travel, but I think there is something extremely freeing about being told what to do. Like you said, I mean, having that schedule set for you makes you not think about anything except for what you're doing in your, the moment you're in. And choice is very complicated. It, it gives people a lot of anxiety. The more choices you have, it gives more people more anxiety. And I think there's actually studies that show that if you limit the number of choices you have, uh, there's like a sweet spot between too few and too many. And if you have like six choices, that is ideal in any given situation. And I think that's why religion and spirituality is so attractive because they give you a set of rules to follow and tell you how to do things. And then you don't have to think about certain things. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, so going back to Jesse Itzler, one of the things that he learned uh, about decision-making and about eliminating decisions from your life is through, you need to, he separates his life into buckets. And I, I forget how many buckets he has, but his buckets were, you know, finances, 
health, his health, his family, um, his job or something and whatever it was. And if, if a decision was presented to him and it didn't fill one of those buckets, then he doesn't do it. It doesn't matter. It's irrelevant. Move it out of my life. I cannot spend my time on that, on making that decision if it doesn't contribute to these very important buckets. And when you can get to that point, that's, that's, I don't know, that, that's, the, that's the way to, to move forward. And I don't know, I think it gives you much more peace of mind when you know that everything you're doing, every action you're making, every decision you're making is contributing to progress with your life. Yeah, decision fatigue. I was talking about that with the past guest actually this week, Quinn Zita came out. Um, I mean, she has an entrepreneur, very successful and has to make decisions every day, all day. And so if she can simplify her life by having her groceries delivered, her meal plans kind of already made for her, just taking that decision out of her life is so much more mentally uh, deep or less strength, stressful, you know? Yeah. And then going back to like the present thing and being present with everything you do, I think that's one thing I really appreciate about travel is that it puts you into the present moment when you are constantly bombarded by moments and situations that you're not familiar with. You can't go on autopilot when you land in Bangkok for example, or Delhi, India, like you have to be present because you are constantly being bombarded by people and things that you've never felt before, never experienced, never smelled. And it's just like, it's, it's such a powerful way to kind of achieve what I think all these, this Eastern philosophy talks about of like mindfulness and presence that you can maybe get through meditation. Like I get it through travel. Yeah. When Bob and I were having the conversation of our different styles of travel. Bob is very much a planner in every aspect of for no matter where he goes. And I am, I would say a, most of the time a fly by the seat of my pants where I, I know I want to go to this place and then I'll figure it out from there. But there is something to be said that I, I make enough choices for me to feel comfortable and when it comes time to make a decision, I will go with whatever is easiest or sounds the best at that time. And I rarely ever get held up in the decision-making process because I know whatever decision I make, I'll just be present in it and I'll be happy. And nice. I never let myself think, well, what if we did, like after I've made the decision and I'm doing the thing I decided to do, I don't think, well, what if we were doing that other thing that we were going to do? Would I be happier there? I never give myself that chance because I know that no good comes out of it. Mm, yeah. Master Elliot, sensei. That, that's, I, a lot of people struggle with that. I do, Elliot. That's, that's something that I, I don't think I'm, I, I definitely made a decision and it's like, ah, you know, who knows how it would have went if I made that. Yeah. Between my daughter and the dog barking, it's uh, presents issues, you know. Dude, I do some of my episodes in like the jungle, bro, and it's sometimes so difficult, like wind blowing. <laughs> do like, you really? Yeah. That's fun. Like I was in Vietnam and I was in this small community of, I mean, expats like who live in, like it's where the biggest caves in the world are called Phong Nha. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. Isn't that where those divers were? That were well, the kids, the soccer no, team? That was Thailand. That's Thailand. Oh, that was Thailand. Never mind. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I did a lot of episodes kind of like in these like little makeshift settings that were i i should have videoed because it's so hilarious it's, just, it's like the sound quality is terrible <laughs> all right all right i'm gonna go all right so elliot the, i think that's something that a lot of people 
actually struggle with, I know myself included, is being able to stick with a decision without wondering what if. So you're onto something there. Um, I, yeah, I, I don't even know how I can develop that, that, that strategy to not worry. I don't know how to teach it. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know either. I think I well, know going back to what, what you said, I think the, the teacher is presence because if you're present genuinely, there you, you, go. you can't think about it because you're right. in the moment. And I think that's what the Eastern philosophy is always trying to get us to understand. Like if you're genuinely present in the moment with your daughter, with your family, there's no, it's impossible to be thinking about the other decision that you could have made and, and the way it could have gone, you know? That's it. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. I mean, and that's something that Elliot, we learned with our, with our, in our conversation with Mag about Buddhism. I didn't realize this, but Buddhism isn't about bringing things into your life. It's about learning how to eliminate things from your life. You know, toxic, a toxic mindset or situations that don't benefit you in any way. And so I, Buddhism and, and mindfulness seem to, or meditation seems to be one in the scene to be. I'm sure that's not the case if you're a Buddhist. So I'm sorry. I don't really, I don't really know too much about either one. I'm still learning, but yeah, I mean, I guess that's a, that's sort of a meditative practice, Elliot, being able to just eliminate any sort of negative thought from your mind. What, what kind of, what, how the hell do you do that? <laughs> Years of, I don't know. It's not practice. I'm just, I just have always had it. Yeah. Well, it's a great mindset. Well, I, I haven't, it's gotten me this far, but I yeah. will say the, the fact that when, when we travel together, you and I, Bob, that mm-hmm. uh, you have things planned out to the 15 minute increment. Sometimes. Sometimes, most of the times. It is very, it is very freeing for me as well to be a part of that. Because when we are in, you know, second or third world countries, I don't want to have to worry about where I'm going to sleep at night. So having that all planned out is really nice. And it is something that I probably would have done and not just like, oh, I am now in Lima, Peru. I don't know what I'm doing for the next seven days. I would never have done that. Yeah. Well, that's the reason I do do it because I don't want to make the decisions or think about it when I'm there. So you already knew that you can't make the decisions on the fly because you wouldn't feel comfortable with the decision-making process. So you give yourself an out before you even get there. Yeah, I guess so. And I mean, with seven days, boys, like you don't have time to waste. Like I think your strategy is great because- It's a huge part of it, yeah. Yeah, I'm on the road, you know, all the time and, you know, three months is me just cruising. Like I know I have months to figure out where I'm gonna stay. So it's not really a big deal, you know? That's that's something that I, I do want to get into now because I didn't even understand the concept of traveling for three months or what slow travel meant before I started this podcast. And now after speaking to person after person on their experiences traveling like this, I need to do it. I am so curious to just to just understand what that feels like. And I know going into it. So, you know, I don't need to do my research. I don't have to. If I understand that I'm throwing myself into a situation that does not need planning, that I'll be okay with it not being planned. Uh, but yeah, and, and I'm jealous. I'm jealous of that the opportunity to be able to just go. When was the last time you were, you were gone for an extended period of time? I came back from Thailand in uh, November for Thanksgiving. I was there for like um, two months. Wow. Um, yeah. Since I've started really pushing for this digital nomad lifestyle where I can work from my laptop anywhere, I've joined the Dynamite Circle, which is an international sort of group of digital nomads 
that meets around the world every few months. And Bangkok is where they have their biggest event annually. And so I flew in for that. And then everyone kind of migrates to Chiang Mai every year. Like all the digital nomads in the world go to Chiang Mai every year for like no, October, November, December-ish, three months. And it's just like this mental hub of everyone just kind of collaborating, talking about, you know, their business strategies and how it's all working, what, you know, ideas are just constantly being grown there. It's really cool. That's awesome. Yeah. I've heard of Chiang Mai being a great hub for digital nomads. I didn't realize it's it was cheap, that big. like six, yeah. six, it cost me like 600 bucks a month to live there, you know? So wow. Man. it's like a private room, private bath. Like I could, I could even do it cheaper, but I like to be in a certain location where I have, you know, yeah. certain amenities. Yeah, it, definitely. Southeast Asia seems to be the hub for digital nomads because it's cheap, because they have great culture and, and good Wi-Fi, good Wi-Fi, very laid back uh, people. So it seems to be like a, a hot spot for, for that. Uh, yeah, it is. It's fun. I love it there. So I want to transition back to a little bit of your time after you were traveling around from 03 to 04. Mm-hmm. And then, Shortly after that, you moved to Nicaragua and stayed there for about 10 years. What were you doing there? I came back from that big trip we just described. And uh, my friend I bumped into, I hadn't seen him since high school. He's like, I just got married to a Nicaraguan chick and bought some land on the beach. I'm going to start surf camp. And I was like, sign me up. And he said, oh, I don't need your help. Thanks, though. Um, but I stuck with it and kept emailing. I'm like, hey, I'm, I'm always ready to like drop everything, come down. And then I'd been here like nine months parking cars as a valet and really enjoying it being back with my family. But after nine months, I was really ready to hit the road again. And I was pestering him being like, dude, I'm, I'm willing to come down. And he hadn't started yet. He was like still building the house and everything. So they had like some guests that were showing up in like a month. And he's like, I could use your help, dude, if you want to come down and help me start this thing. So I quit my job two weeks and bailed. And then he left after the first year and um, left it to me and two other people to run for him. Cause I loved it like this. I was like, this is my life forever. I am never going to leave this place. And so he's like, well, I want to go back to grad school. So me and two other people, we ran it for five years and uh, had great life. I mean, I'd made, I was only making like five grand a year, but the company was more or less like paying for me to stay there. So it was like all my food and accommodation was paid for. So at the end of the year, I basically get five grand in my pocket or at the end of like nine months. And I take that five grand, I go travel for, for three months with it and then i'd fly back to nicaragua and do it again i did that for five years and we sold in 2010 because all my business partners wanted out and um i stayed and tried my hands at other ventures like i started a bakery and that didn't work i helped a friend start a hostel um and then i started kind of doing my own sort of um surf retreats and i've been kind of doing that ever since kind of keeping one foot in the door of nicaragua and then in 2015, really trying to make the move to online digital nomad business stuff where I started uh, transitioning my surf knowledge online and trying to help people surf better online, which yeah. is a funny concept I know, but <laughs> people would basically send me their footage of them surfing and I break it down and analyze it for them and give them like little custom instructional videos, like 200 bucks a pop. And then um, my retreats were still doing okay. So I'd you know, be in Nicaragua and I could do you know, a couple of retreats a month or like a treat a month. And then I start. I made a, I made a course, an online surf course. Yeah. Hmm. So we get this as a question from friends and family that have listened to the podcast or just are curious as to how 
people travel and live outside the United States because as Americans, we do, we have a very limited understanding of how healthcare outside the United States works. Mm -hmm. And what, so my first question is, how did you have, I'm going to even back up one more time. Did you have healthcare insurance? No. This is a great question. Thank you for bringing it up. I love this question because I love putting my middle finger to the air towards the American <laughs> healthcare system because it's so messed up. You can travel the world and you can have anything you want done. If you want something aesthetically pleasing done to your face, your body, you can get it done for a fraction of the price anywhere in the world. Like you can afford to do it just with money that you have in your savings account. So say if like I had a compound fracture in my tibia or fibia or something like that in, in Bangkok. Like I could stay in the hospital for a week or two or however long it would be. And I could easily afford that. You know, it's like people trip like, oh, I need insurance to travel. It's like maybe in Europe. Yeah, sure. Like, cause it's going to cost the same amount as it would in the States, but like everywhere else in the world, it's totally affordable or even free, you know? So it's like. So on the yeah, flip side of that, here. the, the devil's advocate here is being, is it the same quality? It's better most of the time. <laughs> like you guys have heard of medical tourism, I'm assuming, right? Yes. So it's a huge industry. I mean, every single, I'm not going to say every single, but like most Swedes, for example, who have a country where they can go to the doctor for free, they can get everything they want done for free. They go to Mexico to get everything they need done. You know, because yeah. the social system there, it's like you're going to wait for years sometimes to get a medical procedure done. Obviously, if it's life threatening, they probably push you closer to the front of the line. But like most, yeah, they're going outside of their own country. And so like Thailand's great hub. Uh, Vietnam's a great hub. Um, let's see where else like Mexico. My friend has been doing like him and his wife weren't able to get pregnant. So they've been doing in vitro down there for a fraction of the price. Um, Nicaragua's, you know, got, they have good medical care for sure. Um, it's suspect in some ways. <laughs> I mean, you're, it's a legit question um, and it's not always going to be better, but I'd say it's on par, you okay. know, for sure. I, I do remember reading an article maybe around this time last year and it was actually through the New York times about medical tourism and a practice, I want to say in the Midwest somewhere, maybe like Chicago or Minnesota, but the practice was sending their orthopedics patients for new knees, hips, and ankles to Mexico. Be and like they were paying for them to go because it would have cost 5,000 down in Mexico plus the travel Whereas if they had done it in the United States, it would have been close to 35. It's crazy. I can't figure it out. But you also like oh, a I lot can. of these doctors, <laughs> a lot of these doctors were trained in America, you know? So like a lot of these Mexican doctors like have degrees from like Harvard medical school or wherever they went, you know, and they just go back to their own country and they're badass, you know? All right. So my, my follow-up question to that is how do you feel like you are going to be prepared for retirement if you um, feel like you need to be prepared? I think about that a lot. Yes. Um, my retirement plan is probably Thailand. 
uh, at this point. It'll definitely be a third world country, I would imagine, um, where my money will go a lot farther. And um, I mean, I, I save, like I try to save, you know, 10, 20% of my paychecks if I'm making money and put it into investments or something like that. Like I'm thinking about retirement and it's always with the thought of being in a place where my money is going to go a lot farther. Yeah. Yeah. Well, do we you, did. You, do you plan on being an extra patriot? Do you yes. see yourself? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We had a, an interesting conversation with um, Amanda and Ryan. They're the hosts of the world wanderers podcast. And they brought up a really interesting point, which I'd never thought about in terms of being an expatriate and retiring abroad. And if you live in those smaller, or I should say cheaper countries like Southeast Asia, like Nicaragua, where you can live off of 500 bucks a month in a nice place, including food, including transportation, and you have that retirement income or you have the salary of an American, then it is incredibly doable. Oh, yeah. It is. Yeah. I mean, I mean, this group of people that I'm tapped into the you know, dynamite circle, a lot of these people are, you know, six, seven figure people, some of them eight, and they're living in Chiang Mai where their cost of living is, I mean, cause they're doing it more, they're more luxury than I am. And they're still probably spending like two grand a month all in right, for everything, right. you know, it's a mortgage. Just, that just ties back into what we talked about earlier at this point. I don't remember if it was on our podcast or your podcast, but um, that, travel allows you to see that things are not you're not stuck doing them as you experience them right now there are many different ways you can live your life and experience the world and you'll never know that you can do that if you don't just take that first step and travel and see what it's like in thailand in nicaragua in peru because you could live an almost similar lifestyle but incredibly cheaper than than what you experience here and if you're not tied down to anything uh, in, in the United States, uh, and you're not overly wealthy, I think that it is a viable option. Yeah. You know? It is. It is. I think um, the way the, the media portrays the rest of the world, the American media specifically, is so unfortunate because it instills so much fear into the minds of anybody who's not willing to take that first step and just solidifies their preconceived notions about these places in the world. It's just so sad, dude, because they're not like that, like full stop. Like, yeah. I would not hesitate right now to like fly to Iran, you know, and like, I'm sure I would be taken care of and people would be so cool to me. And I've never been, but like, I wouldn't even hesitate because I've, I've been to enough places that I, people told me like, we're like, I just came back from Myanmar a year ago. My aunt sat me down and just explained how dangerous Myanmar was. She would just give me all these crazy facts that she saw on the news. And I was like, I just came from there. Like, it's not like that at all, <laughs> you know? And she just like, that couldn't help her understand that like everything that she thought was true wasn't, you know? Yeah. I've had that conversation so many times now. And now I just, I just end it. It's just like, you know, whatever, I'm not going to teach you otherwise. And there's just, there's something that's hard to do when you come back from a trip and you have all of these thoughts fluttering in your head and these experiences that you want to just just share with everybody uh when you try to share it with someone who's never traveled especially someone who's never traveled they're just not going to get it and so i recommend just not even bothering you know i, I you gotta try i, I it, well it depends if you have someone who comes to you with a curious mind and 
and they want to learn and they're, they're asking you because they're genuine, generally curious about your experience, then yeah, then talk to them. But uh, it's, it's almost impossible to sit down with someone who doesn't understand what it means to be a traveler or, or understand how cultures are different than what we have right here and to, to then try to explain to them your situation. I don't know. I don't think it goes very far. I don't think it really sinks in. And to be honest, unfortunately, I don't find it worth my time. <laughs> Do people actually ask you, like, this is something that comes up a lot of conversation for me as well. Like, I come back from these trips that I've just described to you, and I don't have anybody ask me about my trip at all. Most people don't. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. yeah. They'll say, oh, how was it? Oh, yeah, it was good. And that's it. Yeah. That's all they want to know. Yeah. Right. One, one brave friend of mine articulated, like, we don't want to hear about your trip, dude. Like, mm-hmm. our lives aren't that cool, and I don't want to hear how good your life is. And, and she was she was really articulate and polite about it, but she's like, I genuinely don't want to hear it, dude. I was like, all right, yeah, fair enough. <laughs> yeah. And, and it's hard to translate an experience to like a conversation with someone that wasn't there. I mean, that, I guess that's hard with anything. But then when you have a when you have an experience that's far removed from the culture and the understanding of that person, you're not going to get anywhere. No. And 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 again, I mean, most people. I went to Croatia as part of my honeymoon. And I don't know how many people were like, you know, is it dangerous there? And we're, this is Croatia. Like the slightest amount of research would, would <laughs> show you that it is way safer than the United States on a, a number of statistics re- regarding crime and violence. And, you know, the police there, don't. some of them don't even have working firearms because violence is so low and, and, you know, America in its typical fashion just assumes that anywhere outside of our borders, other than maybe Canada and one in England, is is just not safe. Yep. Yeah. That friend uh, Sophie articulated best. She's like, you have to remember when you're flying into another country that it's somebody else's home, and yeah. that yeah. they don't want like bad things to happen in their home. So most of the majority of the population is going to do their best to prevent bad things from happening. You know to you they're going to try to welcome you like it's somebody's home they're going to usually welcome you into their home yeah and and something else that that i we tend to do as americans I, this might be anywhere in the world but we tend to tie people, a country's government to their people and to their mm-hmm. culture and so you know the united states will have an issue with i mean just pick a middle eastern country or uh russia or china and then you assume that because those governments have issues with our our government, um, the people will too, and that's not the case at all. I mean, that you might, um, of course, you might run into somebody that might have an issue with you because you're American, but a majority of the time, these people are going to be more more curious about why you're there, and they'll get to want to know you than be angry at you for just being a citizen of a country that their government has a beef with. Hundred yeah. percent. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The, uh, lovely couple, Jared and Alicia from nomadosaurus.com, Really cool blog. Um, only focus on the stands. You know, Tajikistan, Uzbekistan, Kyrgyzstan. That's oh. where they run their tours exclusively. Wow. Because it's just they're like, no one's here. Number one, because everyone's so afraid of it, and the yeah. people are so nice. Food is so good. It's incredible. That's a cool little niche that they mm-hmm. they yeah. work themselves into. That's really interesting. That's that's a bold move too. You guys should, uh, yeah, re- um, get them on your podcast. Of course, yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. Well, I so we've talked a lot about you, and I want to talk about now your podcast that you've been working on for four and a half years, Misfits and Rejects. Tell us a little bit about what it is and uh, who your typical guest would be. 
Uh, it's much like you guys, like I, Misfits and Rejects, the podcast about the lifestyle design of expatriates, travelers, entrepreneurs, and adventurers. And I've been inspired countless times by individuals I meet on the ground in some of the most backwater corners of the world, you know, like somehow you're always going to find a German, you know, there's Germans in like some of the craziest places in the world. Yeah. Their adventures, like really, truly just the coolest adventures and, you know, their story and just people's stories in general. It's like, I'm constantly just so inspired to push forward, you know, climb a little bit higher to look over the mountaintop or like go down this river that no one's ever checked out because I heard this one guy did it once. And those stories I really wanted to bring to light. And then through the medium of podcasting, I was able to just put the microphone in front of these individuals that I meet on the road and have them tell their story. And then through time and just the need for more content and my desire to be very transparent with my life, my lifestyle design, my intent of where I'm trying to get in my life, I started incorporating a lot more like digital nomads and people that I'm intrigued by and how they're making it work because that's what I aspire to do as well. So yeah, Misfits and Rejects is trying to inspire people to think about their life situation. If you're not happy in it, if you're in California right now, driving on the 405 to a job you hate, I have 190 episodes of people who got out and figured out a way to like make a life for themselves outside of America or even within America, but doing what they want through online business or whatever they want, you know? Yeah, check it out. Yeah, absolutely. And that's misfitsandrejects.com, correct? That's correct. Yeah. And awesome. is that the same for your social media handles? Correct. Yeah. Misfits and Rejects on Instagram. Um, I'm Chape and Kruger on Facebook. Um, YouTube, Misfits and Rejects. All right. All right. All right, Bob, you ready? Yeah. So, Chapin, we didn't tell you this because we like to keep it till the end, but we issue some rapid fire questions at the end for every guest we have on. Great. It's slightly new. So yeah. we actually haven't released a podcast where we've done this yet, but we do have them stockpiled. Yeah. So, uh, Elliot, do you want me to get started? I'll, I'll do the first one. That way you do the last one. <laughs> okay. All right. Okay. All right, Chapin. First word that comes to your mind, all right? Just say it as fast as you can. Uh, what is the first word that comes to your mind when you hear the word travel? Flight. Okay. What, what home comfort do you miss the most while traveling? Good beer. If you could swim in any liquid, what would it be? Water. Pick two animals that you want to see fight. Uh, triceratops and a uh, mouse. <laughs> That's a first. Would you rather drink wine or coffee for the rest of your life? Wine. Say hello in your favorite language. Hola. I, I'm going to go back to number five really fast. That was the fastest anyone's ever answered that. So you must yeah. really not like coffee. I don't drink coffee. There we go. There, there we, we go. go. All right. Uh, if you can travel with anyone in the world, living or dead, who would it be? Jesus. What is one item remaining on your bucket list? Uh, I was going to say threesome. <laughs> Good enough. <laughs> I count. Well, this leads into the next question. Who is your biggest celebrity crush? Natalie Portman. All right. If you were stuck in one city for the rest of your life, which city would you choose? Rome. Oh. If you owned a yacht, what would you name it? Natalie Portman. <laughs> <laughs> okay, last question. You ready? 
And who is your favorite Traveler's Blueprint podcast host? <laughs> um, that's not fair, dude. <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> we love to we love to make people uncomfortable on our show. Yeah, and it, it works every time. It, it does. <laughs> it works a hundred percent of the time. I, I like you both equally. Yeah, you guys are you. both oh, really you. talented thank at you. what you do. So thanks a lot, man. All right. All right, Chapin, thank you for coming on the podcast. Again, Misfits and Rejects, check it out. The podcast, the website, social media. Uh, We really appreciate your time today. Hey, thanks, guys. It's been a pleasure. That was a great conversation. It's always awesome to talk to fellow travel content creators, people who uh, are on a similar path as us and get information and get some of their just insight on their perspective of how they're managing it. Yeah, it is. And I mean, both... Chapin and ourselves, we're, we were just fairly normal people that decided to make a podcast because we like talking to people and we want to learn more about them, how they do their stuff. And in reality, we don't have the ability to travel that much anymore. So it's nice hearing other stories on how they do it and maybe get ideas for when we do start traveling again. Right. Yeah. I know for, for I'm pretty sure for you, but for me, a, a large portion of my social interaction now beyond family is through this podcast. Oh yeah, absolutely. As 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 I've gotten older, as you know, I have a child. I'm going out less. The bar scene is almost a distant memory, especially with COVID. But so it's been really nice. It's been really fortunate for us to be able to continue having these social interactions. Not only just any social interaction, but very specific topic, uh, specific things that we're interested in. So yeah, it's always fun to do this. Um, it is. It's been really fun seeing all of the people like we got to create a map of all of the guests that we've had on and all the connections we've established around the world. That's the other day I was, I was with two friends, uh, my sister's boyfriend and his buddy. And I was talking to a guy who it hasn't really traveled much, but it's kind of throwing around the idea of potentially traveling more. And I was like, listen, I was like, I have connections all over the world. And I didn't say it like that. I said <laughs> it in a, in a way that didn't sound as arrogant and pompous. Yeah, that, but that, was, that was kind of a brag right there. Right. And I didn't mean to, I didn't, I didn't say it in a bragging way, but it is real. Like it, it is factual. We have connections all over the world. Now we keep in contact with people from different countries and who are constantly moving around the planet. And we try to manage these relationships through this podcast. And so we really are connected with people around the world. And I mean, I guess that's why we're the traveler's blueprint, right? If people do, if you're listening to this and are interested in traveling more reach out to us because i guarantee you that we could at least at a minimum at a you know uh minimum point you in the right direction to get information that you need so that's why we do it it is it is so thank you for listening uh, leave us a rating on whichever podcast platform you listen on or like a few of our youtube videos or comment if you like the videos and reach out to us as bob said if you are traveling and you want some connections maybe we can help you out uh tune in next week thank you